welcome to your own podcast. I know what it <laughs> what a weird world we live in where we have our own podcast. It's a lot of fun. Today we're going to talk about whole plant medicine and the limitations with current extraction techniques. Predominantly here in Australia, we have had whole plant, the flower or mm -hmm. oil, but increasingly we're seeing concentrates come to market. So tell us a little bit about concentrates and how they're used therapeutically and what the difference is between a concentrate and a whole flower. First off, I guess we need to understand that with cannabis, there is a herbal synergy. There's an ensemble where the different constituents within the cannabis plant work together and will have additive effects or synergistic effects at certain receptors to increase the therapeutic value of that medicine. CBD and THC often work well together, around 160 different sort of cannabinoids within the cannabis plant and those, even those minor constituents within the plant can have a quite a strong therapeutic effect. There's terpenes within the cannabis plant and the aromatic components within the plant, but they also have their own sort of therapeutic value. We're starting to understand more that the flavonoids, which are the color producing components of the plant, have a lot of therapeutic value as well. And then there's also value in the raw cannabinoids. So before heat and decarboxylation ha has happened to that plant to create THC and CBD, we have the acidic precursors, CBDA and THCA, and they all have their own therapeutic benefit as well. And not just within the inflorescence or the flower, which is generally the powerhouse that's packed full of all of these medicines, we also have constituents within the roots as well that are unique and can provide therapeutic value. So all of these different components within the plant, you know, when, when they're together, can create a more complex medicine that works in synergy to have greater therapeutic outcomes. In my view, and in many views, that the, a, a full spectrum or a whole plant sort of product is likely going to be more effective at lower doses than, than something that is more refined that is being broken down and is, say, a CBD isolate or a THC distillate or a more refined or a more refined product. And this has been shown in some studies where a full spectrum CBD product and versus CBD isolate, the CBD isolate and the, and the full spectrum product may provide the therapeutic outcome, but the dosing required for that CBD isolate is often five, five times as much. Just to be clear though, when you're talking about isolates, what you're talking about is they are isolating the compound THC or CBD and effectively removing all of the other components that, as you say, work symbiotically together. You're just getting THC or CBD. You're missing out on the hundreds, if not thousands of other molecules that make up a cannabis plant. Exactly. So you're missing out on that sort of, it's like a symphony and you've isolated the lead violin. Sophia Moormon, MP, talked about that with turmeric when we spoke. That's right. And it happens a lot with plant medicines and, and cannabis is a plant, but it is unique in that it's got so many bioactive compounds that have such potential therapeutic validity. And so to be limiting it to certain compounds within that plant, I think we're just missing the point in many ways. It's a, 
it is a fantastic medicine as it is in its whole plant form. And there's huge range of different medicines within that plant as well that we don't need to be refining it excessively to create a good, a good medicine. So, so a, con- a concentrate is w- where the whole plant has been put through a process of extraction and then the, all the plant material has been taken away. And in that, after that extraction, there is just a concentrated resin at the end, which will have a certain profile of that original plant. And depending on the extraction process, they'll have different profiles. So normally once that resin or concentrate is there, it can then be formulated into many different products. So it could be diluted with an oil to become an oral solution, it made into an edible, or people can inhale the concentrate itself specifically. So say a flower, let's just give an example of a THC flower that has 20% THC and 3% terpenes or something like that. It'll go through this extraction sort of process. It'll be concentrated. And depending on how many steps and processes there are at the end to distill it and refine it, it can go from anywhere from a 50% THC product right up to a 95% THC product, depending on that distillation process. But as they're concentrating those cannabinoids, they're also losing a lot of the other constituents that make cannabis sort of able, but it does make it a more malleable material and easier to work with across a range of different formulations. With a concentrate though, there are some components of the plant that you lose that aren't a big problem, like chlorophylls and some waxes and some dirt and other bits and pieces that don't make it through. Yeah, yeah, a whole range, whole range of other plant material. And so medically, when would you think about prescribing a concentrate or recommending someone has a concentrate versus say an oil or flour? Medically, I would never recommend a concentrate really, no, because they're, they're just a refined concentrated form of the plant material. And when it is in that more refined form with high THC percentage, it's more likely to overactivate the body's cannabinoid receptors and lead to tolerance issues. So people might in the short term get great relief using a concentrate, but then all their other cannabis products become ineffective because they've hit the system too hard. The concentrates best used in, in other forms, in my opinion, in oils, in edibles, you can use them in a vape pen or something like that, but that at least controls how much of that concentrate is used. I worry about things like concentrates like we see a lot of in the, in North America, because it's a less controlled amount of that concentrate and people can get huge doses of cannabinoids in one or two sort of inhalations and uh, it can dis- disrupt everything. That would be people, as you say, using a dab rig or perhaps sprinkling some keef or some kind of shatter onto a, or putting that in with their flour and then vaporizing, for example. Yeah. Look at any of that form of a bit of keef or even a little bit of hash with their flour. I think there's definitely a time and a place. It's more that my, my worry is more around those concentrates that are used in something like a dab rig. I think there probably is a place I should say for concentrates of non-intoxicating cannabinoids where they do need higher blood levels to have a significant impact. We haven't seen much of that, but CBD concentrates or CBG concentrates and these types of things I think could be 
highly valuable because you don't have that risk of disrupting the endocannabinoid system in the same way or developing tolerance in the same way. So they could be a value, but we just don't see them very often. As a clinician, when you're looking at a product which isn't raw flour, what are you looking at? You want to understand what the starting material is that went into that product's quality in, generally leads, leads to quality out. But then the extraction methods that's being used, so the most common methods are either supercritical CO2 extraction or ethanol or alcohol extraction. And these can be done well or they can be done poorly. And depending on whether they are just trying to get high volume throughput versus actually creating as good a medicine at the end is going to make a difference between even if they're using the same technology, you can have a very different output. So say with supercritical CO2, that's where carbon dioxide is put under pressure to a point where it goes from a gas to a liquid. And it's that point between gas and liquid that it works as a solvent to actually start extracting different components within the cannabis plant. You can do a really slow and varied pressure and longer extraction time and create a really terpene rich product. Unfortunately, with CO2, because of that sort of pressure that it's under, the acidic compounds are naturally decarboxylated. So you can't maintain any of those acidic compounds, the THCA, the CBDA, CBGA, all of these things that have more research that needs to be explored within them. So that's problematic with that process. And then the winterization process within that can also lose compounds. And because moisture is an issue with CO2 extraction, often people are decarboxylating their flour beforehand. So they're putting it through that heating oven drying process, and that loses a hell of a lot of the terpenes as, as well. You want to look at how they're doing it. You'd love to see a COA of the end product, but most companies don't really provide the COA of their, their oils. And then with ethanol, it's probably better at taking all of those. It's a better solvent. It's better at extracting the cannabinoids. It's better at extracting the flavonoids and terpenes. But unfortunately, it's a bit too good and also sucks out a lot of chlorophyll and a lot of other impurities there to make it into a palatable product. There's a significant process that goes in at the back end to to get rid of some of those, you know, bitter and astringent sort of components. And therefore, when you're going through that process, you lose some of the therapeutic benefit as well. And because people don't want to take it in an alcohol-based tincture, they also need to boil off the alcohol. And as they're boiling off the alcohol, depending on how slowly and gently they do that, there's a lot of the terpenes of volatile compounds. And so they'll often boil off a lot of the terpenes as, as well. So in general rule of thumb, the, 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 the ethanol is going to have a better cannabinoid profile. CO2 can have a better terpene profile if it's done in the right way, but neither of them are perfect. So this is where I think using the raw plant and using the whole plant without it going through an extraction process has a lot of value. And then there are other more boutique processes that are less scalable in a way, so haven't been as commercially viable for a lot of companies that will actually create a really high quality concentrate. My premium that I would be looking for would be fresh, fresh frozen. So the plant goes from the ground, it goes straight into deep freeze. So it goes into, a, into stasis because within the first 24, 48 hours of that plant being cut down, we lose about 40, 50% of the terpenes or something like that. Don't quote me, but it's a, a significant amount. And then that goes through a solventless extraction sort of process. So put through a bubble hash sort of system 
And then from that, the trichromes from the plant are all collected and then it's pressed into rosin. And that's using pressure and a little bit of heat, but not to a point where it decup oxalates the flower. And that to me would be the ideal starting material for formulation. And would that then go into what sort of products? Look, that could then be diluted with an oil. It could be used in an edible. It could be used in a vape pen. It could be used in many ways. So that's what I'd be, that's what I hope we see more of. There is one other technique that does create a really high quality profile at the end, and that's using hydrocarbon extraction like butane and propane. Unfortunately, those solvents are toxic and flammable. So if they're not purged properly, it can be lead to health issues. And if it's not done in the right way, people can blow themselves up. So a lot of, a lot of people do blow themselves up in North America doing these in their backyard, but otherwise it creates a really nice, it creates a great chemical profile from the cannabis starting material. So it is still a concentrate, but what you're saying is the product is then used as an input to another final product, not used for an individual to put into a dab rig and smoke the shatter or the, or the hash. That's right. Because you, the concentrate is a great starting material. It's just how you use it. And if you're just inhaling it as it is in a large amount, it's not going to provide you with ther- medical value in, in the long run. But that starting material is very malleable as a concentrate and can be used in many different ways and has good stability as well once it's in that sort of format as well. So it, it can be used across a range of different formulations. Anything else you'd like to say on this topic? I guess one thing I'd like people to consider is using that using that flower or using the herbal plant material as it is. I often get my patients making cannabis tea. So where they just get a pea-sized bud and they put it, steep it in some hot water for 10, 15 minutes. And that is a nice, gentle way of creating a decoction. So you get the acidic cannabinoids within that solution. And that's not intoxicating, but has good anti-inflammatory effects and some anti-nausea properties. Considering just the raw flower as, as well as it is. And or people can, it would be great if we just had these people were just decarboxylating the flower and just using it in a measured, measured way as it was without it needing to go through all of these other processes, which often the therapeutic compounds. As a doctor, are you prohibited from educating or suggesting to patients how they could use their flower in ways other than vaporization? It's a good question. I, th- I think if you're encouraging patients to make a concentrate so that they had a higher percentage THC product that they were using to, you know, knock their socks off with, I think that ethically and morally would be, uh, would be discouraged in regards to them taking a potentially intoxicating product and decocting it into a tea, which is a safer option or just eating it raw. I hope there wouldn't be any, any issues with that because you're turning, you're actually making it a, a less, less harmful or a less potentially abusable, um, product. Another example is if you use a, say a biodimetic vaporizer, there is still goodness the decarboxylated matter that's left over and yeah. you are allowed to tell people that they can eat that or i'm sure they can there's communities out there that will tell them what to do with their after vape material but from my looking into what's left there probably is about 12 percent or 10 percent of the cannabinoids that were in the original product 
that are left in that aftervate material. And as you mentioned, it's, they've been heated, so they've gone through that decarboxylation process. So they are activated, to a want of a better word, into their neutral compound. So yes, if people did ingest it, it would have an effect. On and births. technically, it's really, although it hasn't been prescribed as a, an oral, like a, a tincture or an oil, it really isn't any different. It's just using the same body's metabolic process to convert it. The hard part is not knowing what the quantity and percentage is of the starting material. So if someone's only partially baked their flour, you know, might have much higher concentration of cannabinoids versus if they've got to that point where it tastes really burnt, like burnt popcorn is often what I tell my patients to, to be looking out for, then there's going to be a less concentration. So there's just going to be variations in the effects and that makes it difficult from a medical standpoint to be able to predict how someone's going to respond. But there is still medicine in there. So if people do things with that, then that's up to them. I guess we can't really tell them specifics around it though. But yeah, and some of those cannabinoids have gone through that oxidation process and there's going to be higher levels of CBN. So people who have done it have reported that it's often a, a more sedating type experience there too. I think there's a lot of iffies out there about eating raw cannabis. In theory, if you had a 20% strain of cannabis, less than 1% on average would actually be THC unless you decarboxylated it. It would mostly be THCA. It shouldn't, in most instances, have a an effect that it would if you smoked it. That's Yeah, that's correct. So if you eat raw flour, the, especially the fresher it is, the... So that decarboxylation process does occur naturally over time, but it's extremely slow in, in normal sort of room temperature conditions. So it's sped up, obviously, when it's heated in a vaporizer or, or smoked or is put in an oven. But if someone goes up to a living plant and eats 10 grams of cannabis, they might feel sick in the stomach, but they're not going to get high from it. People so, do juice raw cannabis plants? Yeah, look, they. it's not something we do in Australia, but in legal markets where they have excess plants around, yes, they, they juice it. And I think there's a lot of health benefits that can come from those types of things. Juicing teas, making it into pesto, using it as a culinary herb is, is something we've done historically. And, and, uh, and I'd love a dollar for every time someone has told me this story that there was some cannabis growing somewhere illegally on a farm or in the bush and kangaroos ate it and all the kangaroos were stoned. Do you call mayonnaise on that story? Do kangaroos get stoned eating raw cannabis? No, no, they might be relaxed from the terpenes and they might right. feel their sore legs from bouncing around or they might be relieved of their aches and pains, but they're not going to be, they're not going to be lying down with red eyes and giggling to each other. We can dispense with that rumor. All right, Jim, thanks. <laughs> thanks for appearing on your own podcast. <laughs> Cheers, mate. <laughs>